desire today is that every one of us get to the place where we can say that and mean it. God, you reign over every area of my life. You reign over my heart. You reign over my relationships, uh, my workplace, all the areas of my life. So I'm really glad that you're here today. If you would, go and invite everybody to grab your message notes out of your program. This will help us out today if you go ahead and pull these out. And uh, all the Bible verses I'll use will be here today if you want to be able to do that. But also open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5 today. And we're going to be hanging out there for quite some time. But if you notice at the top of these message notes, I gave you the key idea for this series. And so we're focusing on this concept of empathy. And I, I just can't tell you how much this has transformed my relationships, my marriage and my home. I'm seeing it with both Kim and me as we're working on uh, more and more empathy in our home. And so it's the key, it's the foundation to relationships. But look at this definition because we want to just bring it back to mind today. Empathy is tuning in to what someone feels. So you're just kind of, you know, being aware of what they're feeling, not judging what they're feeling, but just kind of hanging out there what they're feeling, validating the bigness of it. Okay. So you're just validating that, wow, that was a strong feeling, or wow, I could just see how you might feel that way and in expressing some compassion to them. And so if we can get this, if we can come to understand this, and I think that our relationships will be so much better. Now, Jesus Christ modeled for us empathy. One of the greatest acts of showing empathy, modeling compassion uh, in the world is when Jesus Christ went to the cross on our behalf, and he died there to show compassion to us, because he knew where we were, and he knew what it would take for us to be in relationship with his father. So he died, then he went to heaven, and he's in heaven now, and he still empathizes with you. He still empathizes with us. And the key for us, if we're going to be able to be empathetic, is that we have to experience the empathy that Jesus has for us. And so I've been talking with my spiritual guidance counselor about this, who's also a psychologist, and he's been helping me to understand that in relationships, in life, until we get to the place where we experience empathy from Jesus, it's literally impossible for us to give empathy truly to other people. We have to experience it from him first. And so that's one of the goals in this series and the goals of our church is to help us to experience each one of us, wherever we are, the empathy that Jesus has for us. And today what we're going to do is we're going to bring this whole idea of empathy into the concept of marriage. And I called it crazy marriage, okay? So we're going to look at this today. So I'm going to take a poll just to begin. We can raise your hands on this. How many of you have ever seen a movie that was billed as a romantic comedy or a romance film? Guys, I'm talking about a chick flick. How many have ever seen one of these kinds of movies? Okay, maybe most of us have seen that. Movies like Sleepless in Seattle, You've got male, pretty woman, and then my favorite of all time, Princess Bride, okay? <laughs> so I just know that, Princess Bride. Now, here's the plot of most romantic comedies or romance movies, okay? Boy meets girl, boy and girl fall in love. Then there's something that happens that creates tension. You know, you're wondering if this is going to make it, if it's going to work out in some way. And finally, at the end of the movie... They patch everything up, and they end up getting married. Almost every romantic comedy or romance movie ends this way. And whether it's spoken or just implicit, the line the movie ends with is this. They lived happily 
Uh, you know this. Okay, so you know how this works. So we go to these films and we leave believing that that's how all marriages should work, okay? That, that after we say, I do, then it's nothing but a rest of our life of living happily ever after. So we hunger. We hunger for Mr. We hunger for Miss Right. Then we think that if we can just convince them to walk down the aisle and say, I do, that the hard part is over. <laughs> And that we can coast along for the rest of our lives into this happily ever after land. Have you ever noticed that when it comes to these romantic comedies or romance movies, that there are never any sequels? <laughs> Not like action adventures, right? Uh, it doesn't have to be a very good action adventure, and there's sequels that keep running on. I was just thinking about this, you know, thinking about, well, we're going to have a diehard 17, okay? We're going to have Bruce Willis in a motorized wheelchair chasing bad guys, okay? Because action flicks just go on. But there is no Sleepless in Seattle 2, and here's the reason for that. Because the sequel would have to begin with the couple looking in the camera and saying, happily ever after is more difficult than we thought it would be. It's just harder than we thought it would be. In fact, it's a myth. In fact, it's a fairy tale because marriage is just hard. It may make a good movie script, but in real life, it's harder than most of us think or most of us anticipate, and that leads to problems. See, the problem is, is that we have this desire for this happily ever after kind of marital bliss when it's actually not even possible. I'd say not possible to attain and not possible to sustain if we ever were able to attain it at all because here's the deal. We are all married to broken, self-centered, prideful people. All of us. You're married to one and your spouse is married to one as well. Okay, both ways. <laughs> So in the wedding ceremonies I do, I, I say to the couple, and as we're you know, in front of all the people, because I just want everybody to be reminded about this, one day soon, you're going to look at the person that you're marrying today, and you're going to look over and you're going to think, I married an alien. <laughs> Who is this person? Because see, marriage takes work. You want to marry someone because you like them. Right? You like them. And that's what happens, actually, sometimes in engagements. Sometimes engagements aren't, you know, engagements are a great time to, to be, uh, to really decide if this is what you want. And I always say to couples, you can always say out up until the married day, okay, the wedding day. But engagement, sometimes it happens is that uh, each of the couple will look at each other and they'll say, you know, I'm not sure I like you. And then they'll actually break the engagement. But really, the truth is this. Something happens after you get married that you don't expect and it doesn't take that long, and it rocks many marriages to the core. What happens is you discover that there's certain things about your spouse that you just don't like at all. Okay, you just don't like them. You don't marry someone you don't like, right? So you walk into this thing, I like you, love you, and I want to marry you. But I'll just tell you this. Whoever you marry, you will fall out of like with. Okay, just know that. You're going to fall out of like with that person. The question is, how do you deal with that tension? How do you deal with the feelings you have that every single 
marriage is going to face. How do you deal with that? How do we move from having a crazy marriage to having a marriage that energizes us and fulfills us as the Bible talks about being fulfilled? That's not based on the happily ever after myth, but it's actually based on the teachings of God's word. Well, that's what we want to talk about today. So Kimberly and I have been talking about the fact that we're getting ready to celebrate our 25th anniversary on May 26th. And so we're talking about this uh, as we go along. We took a, uh, and so I'm going to show you a picture of us on our wedding day. So this is, you know, kind of, hey, this is us <laughs> 25 years ago. Who are those people, right? <laughs> oh, my word. She looks just as beautiful today, you know, just looking at that. that is, it was an awesome day 25 years ago. And I'm more convinced than ever that I married way above my pay grade, okay, when I was able to marry Kimberly. In fact, when we were talking with our son Ryan on Mother's Day, he said to me, he says, well, just face it, Dad, she is your better half. And I said, oh, Ryan, you got it all wrong. She's my better two-thirds, okay? Uh, I know where this actually lies. Uh, in fact, uh, when we took our trip that I'm going to talk about again today to celebrate our anniversary, uh, we were gone two weeks to Italy. I had an opportunity to take a picture of her that shows her true identity. Yeah. She had no idea what I was doing. I was going, would you move over here? Would you move? Get just right. Oh, and she had no idea what was behind her. But there are angel wings. I was able to marry an angel. And they glow, too. <laughs> oh, my word. Now, you would think... Honestly, you would think that after 25 years of marriage, right, that we would have it all worked out and we'd have worked through many of the issues that a couple can face and that from here on out, we would just be on what? Easy street, right? You would think that would be the way it would be, smooth sailing, you know, basking in that love. Well, guess what? That's a myth as well. <laughs> That's a myth. We have a good marriage. I'd say maybe even a great marriage, but it's not a perfect marriage. And because, see, the deal is this. Mark talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but it's true in marriage specifically. Whenever you put two sinners together in close quarters in a relationship, you have all the ingredients necessary for a crazy marriage, okay? When you do that, put them together. And that's what we discovered when we set out on this trip that we took. Now, in hindsight, I don't believe that this was the wisest thing we could have ever done to celebrate our marriage. We took... A self-guided tour, basically, uh, to a place we had never seen, where people spoke a language we didn't know, trying to cram as much into possible into, into two weeks, okay? So you can imagine and that this set up opportunities for tension. <laughs> Suffice it to say that we found out on this trip that we still have some things to work on. And I'm going to get to that in just a few minutes. But before I do, I just want to talk about biblical marriage, okay? There's a lot of confusion today about what marriage is. Let's talk about biblical marriage, okay? Let's just take it out. Let's take it into the Bible. What does the Bible say biblical marriage is at its core? And we're going to go to Ephesians 5 and look at the most comprehensive teaching in the New Testament on the concept of marriage. And so the first is this. Biblical marriage was established by God. First thing, God established it. So what Paul did is he went all the way back to Genesis and he's camped out in Genesis and he said, I'm going to bring you back to the start, to the foundation when God established it. And so he says this in verse 31. He says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So I want you to circle three words, leaves, joined, united, leaves, joined, 
united. And that's the concept of biblical marriage. Now, there's an order. First part of it is leaving. So the first step that has to happen is when two people come together and they get married, they have to leave something. They have to leave family. Some of you have been married you know, for quite a while and you're still struggling over leaving family. Uh, they have to leave friends. Uh, that, you know, this is, you know, tension, especially when really young people get married is they have all these friends and how do I bring these friends into this relationship? You have to leave work and move on now to make the relationship your priority. You have to leave your hobbies. There are things that you must leave behind as you start marriage. And then you're joined. You're joined together. And so when this translation, NLT translation, the word joined, it's actually a word that, that, King James Bible, for those of you who are familiar with it, was leave and what? Cleave. Those of you who have been around, leave and cleave. And so the word, actually, this translated joined or cleaved, is a word that means to be glued to. To be glued to. It means to take a vow. It's designed to be a lifelong commitment between two people who are saying, we are going to honor and cherish one another. See, marriage is more than feelings. Marriage is more than liking someone. Marriage is a covenant. Some people say, well, Ron, I don't need a piece of paper to be married. I can say I love this person today, and I'm going to love them, and so we're just going to get together, but we don't have to be married. And they say that love is all that's needed. But people who get married say, Sure, we love one another today, but what happens when that love fades or wears out or is tested? What will sustain us? And what the Bible says, it's a covenant that will sustain you. See, a covenant goes beyond feelings and gives a couple confidence that they can walk through any difficulty because the other person is just as committed as they are to face whatever may come in life. It's for life. It's not like a contract. I get into the contract and I've got these options and these outs and what I can get out in some way. But it's a covenant. The essence of marriage is it's a binding promise. So here's kind of, I just want to make it a little more clear. When you get married, it's not just a statement of my current love. I may be madly in love with you today madly in love with you today but when you get married you're gonna say i love you at this moment and i'm gonna get married to you and i'm going to love you beyond the feelings i have of this moment see biblical marriage is that in biblical marriage what you're doing is you're saying this i promise tomorrow and the next thing the next day to be loving to you in biblical marriage you're saying i promise Tomorrow and the next day and the next day to be faithful to you. I promise to be loyal to you. I promise to love you even when the feelings fade. I promise to be there. See, beyond the present feelings of love, it's about a promise concerning the future of your love. That I'm going to be there for you and with you. And it's a commitment to invest yourself in the relationship and make it your priority. Now, I got the definition here, biblical marriage. This is from Tim Keller. I just really highly recommend that you go get this book. It's called The Meaning of Marriage. It was written in the last couple of years. One of the best books on biblical marriage that I've read. 
Tim is an amazing scholar and student of marriage. And this is his definition of biblical marriage. It's a lifelong monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. According to the Bible, God devised Mary to reflect his saving love for us in Christ. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. To refine our character. Let me stop here. So here's about the feeling part of marriage, okay? In the feeling part of marriage, when you walk into marriage, you look at someone and you say, I'm so in love with you, and you're going to complete me. You ever thought that? You ever think that? Oh, you complete me? Use that statement. You think it's a good statement? You think it really, you know, okay, we're going to come together, and I've got these flaws, or I've got these weaknesses, and you've got these strengths, and we're going to come together, and we're going to fit together like a glove, and we'll be complete, and then there will be no tension because we're complete. But here's the deal. What marriage is, is you bring two broken people together who have rough and jagged edges, and as they come together, they literally rub each other, rub each other. And so what happens is, is I am brought into a place in marriage where I get to grow. Well, that's hard, right? It's really hard. I'm brought into a place, and God designed it that way. Really? He didn't design us just to be happy? No. He designed us to be holy. <laughs> and he wants us to work on these things about us that the only way they would be brought out is because of this close proximity with another human being. He wants us to do that. Okay, so we're okay. So, uh, to refine our character. That's what we're talking about. Refine our character. To create a stable human community for the birth and nurture of children. And to accomplish all this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life union. If you want to know more about this, just go ahead and get his book. I don't, we may have one or two copies, uh, but you can get this online or you can kindle this in some way and you can read it yourself. Okay, second is this. Biblical marriage is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what we have to remember is that if Paul is writing here, he's writing to uh, people who have said yes to Jesus Christ. So we need to know that. Aaron talked about Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside those and is embodied in those who have said yes to Jesus. That's God's promise that the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. So Paul is writing to those who have experienced him, who know him, and have said yes to Jesus Christ in that way. And so what happens is, is Holy Spirit comes in and Holy Spirit comes in and empowers us to live the life that God has called us to live. So Paul writes in Ephesians 5.18, talking about Holy Spirit, he says this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Ron, you said he was already in me. He's in you. And what Paul is saying is, is that allow him, he's in you, allow him to fill you, allow him to empower you to be able to do what you cannot do apart from supernatural strength and power. And then he says this. Ephesians 5, 21, he says, submit to one another. So that's the beginning place, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of your love and your worship for Jesus Christ. The key idea to a marriage that's better, to, better than crazy, Paul assumes here that if you're going to have a marriage that sings, you're going to need supernatural empowerment. And the reason you're going to need supernatural empowerment is that the number one the main cause of marital discord is self-centeredness. It's self-centeredness. When someone sees the other person as here to meet my needs, or as I said a while ago, complete me in some way, that kills a marriage. And therefore, we need 
spirit-created, spirit-empowered resolve to work through our unselfishness and fight against self-centeredness. So if you're going to be able to express mutual submission to someone else, if you're going to be able to take yourself out of the center of the equation and what's going on, and if you're going to need to put, be able to put the needs of someone else before your own, I'm just telling you, you need a power greater than yours. You need Holy Spirit power in you. Okay, third, biblical marriage is exhibited by Jesus. It's exhibited by him. Paul says in verse 32, This is a great mystery. So, hey, what's a mystery? Something we don't know. We can't quite figure it out. And he doesn't really quite give us all the clues here either. But he said this. It is an illustration. So it's an example of how Christ and the church are one. So what he's saying is marriage is basically a mirror for the rest of the world of a relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. When you boil it down, all the Bible says about a husband and wife are to be to each other in marriage is based upon the relationship that Jesus Christ has with his people. And he says, you will only understand the point of marriage, the covenant of marriage, when you understand the relationship, the permanent relationship that Jesus has between him, he's the, he's the groom, and his church, his church is the bride. So we would all be part of being the bride. And the Marriage illustrates this truth to our world. And so this is where I think church, we have to get it together um, in the area of marriage that we need to show to our world, to our culture, biblical marriage, and that we are committed to what the Bible says for us individually. I'm not talking about you know going to any crusade. Us individually, that Jesus would be the center of my life. He would be the center, and I would submit myself to him as I'm changed to be like him. Okay, turn your nose on the backside. Let's get down to something practical now. Uh, this is from these two um, circles. They're from a book. It's called Love and Respect, one of the best books I've ever read on marriage. In fact, when I read this book and went through it, Kim and I did, that I was able to take this book, and this is now the, the core of my, the weddings that I perform because I, I just think it's so good. This book called Love and Respect by... Emerson Egerich is his name. And so he's got this crazy cycle, and he said, here's how we get to this place where our marriages are crazy. So, okay, we'll just kind of start. Without love, in other words, without feeling love, a woman reacts because love is her primary need, okay? Love is a woman's primary need. So without love, she reacts. And she reacts in a way that's not respectful. And so without respect, this is a man's number one need is respect. Without respect, he reacts. Then he reacts by what? Holding back what? Love. And then she reacts. How does she react? By holding back what? Respect. And so they end up then in this crazy cycle, you know, just going around and spinning and spinning and spinning, neither one of them getting anywhere, both of them frustrated and thinking, why am I in this at all? Because I'm not at all anywhere fulfilled, okay? So let's show you that Op, the way it works, according to Emerson, and I've seen this to be true. We've got the energizing cycle, so we start with his love. So now, if, if a woman's number one need is for love, so it starts with his love for her, his acts of love for her, what they do is they motivate her to what? Give respect. 
because that's his number one need. And as she gives respect, well, he's just like, oh, my word, if you're going to talk to me about like that, you're going to respect me. I'm going to love you even more. It motivates him. And so they end up in this energizing cycle. Instead of frantically going on the crazy cycle, they're like, ooh. You know, they come into this place where they're able to relate to, you, to each other. And it's all from this verse in Ephesians 5, It says this, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. So love is the number one language for a, a wife. And the wife must respect her husband because that's his number one need. So I'm just going to do it, just going to walk through this for wives and husbands. So for wives, this would be yours. Wives, give your husbands respect. Give him the respect he needs. And there's three verses here, Ephesians 5, 22 to 24, kind of expand on that. For wives, this means to submit to your husband as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. So that's an example there. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so your wife should submit to your husbands in everything. So here's the deal. Here's what Paul is calling wives to do. And this is what he writes about in his book. Your man needs your respect. Your man needs your respect. Your man loves it when you tell him that you admire him and that you respect him. When you tell him this, it brings wind to his sails. It fills his sails, and he is able to soar. See, there's something about the power of a wife that I don't think wives understand completely. See, your words carry so much weight in how your husband views himself, your words are able to slice or your words are able to build up. So choose words that bring respect. I'm going to give you two words, uh, wives, that you can use with your husbands. The first one is appreciate. So appreciate him. Appreciate him for his work. Appreciate him for his achievements. uh, Appreciate him for his contributions. Appreciating for the way that he works to provide, appreciating for his leadership, appreciating for uh, his engagement in your marriage, uh, and just appreciate him. Just spend your time appreciating. And then encourage him. You know, be the one that says, I believe in you. I believe in you. On Friday, we've had a vacuum cleaner that's worked for, not worked for a couple of months now. And uh, something like that. And so we have to use a little hand nozzle if we want to vacuum. And so, you know, we've, Kim told you last week that we have a flea infestation. So we're at the little nozzle trying to get all the fleas out of our house. And so I, okay, I'm going to take initiative here. And so I ordered uh, some, you know, vacuum cleaner bags and belts, okay? And so they came. And so Friday, I said, here we go. They'd only been there for a week. On Friday, I said, here we go. And so I took the vacuum cleaner over and I said, I I can do this. I can do this. And I went to my computer and I YouTubed how to change my, you know, vacuum cleaner belt and learned how. So I go over there and I do it, you know, and I'm able to, you know, get it finished and accomplished, turn the vacuum cleaner and it works great. And so Kim was going, I appreciate you so much. You know, she knows that's not my gift. You know, I've talked to you guys about this a lot. My fixing things is not my gift in any way. But she appreciated me. And then I went down to the backyard, and we have this little spot of grass about this big. And so, like, it needs mowed. And I've had this lawnmower that I won't get rid of that I've had for about 27, 28 years. And every time I mow, you've got to coax it into working. 
And so finally, after about 45 minutes, I'm able to mow the little piece of grass with the lawnmower. And, and Kim's going, oh, you're so awesome. <laughs> I appreciate you for doing that, uh, accomplishing that. So she knows how, and she's learned. Actually, it's her natural gift. So she really has it easier, I think, than I do in this <laughs> equation. Uh, it's her natural gift of appreciate and encourage. And so she does that. Wives, your husbands need that, okay? Husbands, give your wife the love she desires. Give your wife the love she desires. So, guys, I'm going to pinch us a little bit here. Instead of saying, I told you that I loved you on the day we got married, <laughs> and if it changes, I'll let you know, okay? <laughs> not a good line, guys. Not a good line. You can, either, you can do that by not saying it. You just need to say that you love. Instead of that, tell her that she is the love of your life every single day. Now, I want to read these verses much more for guys. I think it's because we're a little denser. Paul already knows that because he's a guy. He writes to guys. He says this, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So you might just, he gave up his life. That's a key phrase, guys. He gave up his life. Some of you go, I would die for my wife. And you might. But you're very rarely going to be asked to die for your wife. But you are asked every day to give up your life. So you give up your life. And then washed and cleaned by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot of wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. Now, I've known about love and respect, as I talked about a while ago, for several years now. And, and I've just realized uh, how accurate it is about describing marriage. And, and, and I would think that, you know, I was looking at, thinking about this, Kim, and I, and I realized that in our marriage, we've not spent a lot of our marriage in the crazy cycle, okay? I don't attribute that to that we're special in any way, but what I would attribute to is in our first year of marriage, we went to counseling for a solid year. And we learned in that first year of marriage how to uh, fight fairly. We learned how to listen, and we learned how to work our way to forgiveness and ask for forgiveness and then receive and get both give and receive forgiveness. So we learned all that. And we spent a lot of our time in the first year of marriage and our money, by the way, that we didn't have at the time uh, because we knew that we wanted to invest in this relationship. So we've not spent a lot of time in the crazy cycle, but um, I have discovered that there's still some work that we need to do. And so um, I found this out on our trip, okay? Uh, our 25th anniversary trip. You kind of get the point of what's about to happen. We had... On this trip, what I would call two very difficult conversations, and I call them difficult because they were both about me, okay? So just know. <laughs> and I'm only glad that I have enough time to tell you one, okay? <laughs> I'll probably come back to the second one another time. So we're probably on about day 10 or 11, and we're in Rome, and as we're trying to make our way through the difficulty of the language barrier and the cultural differences and the just the craziness of Rome and all the, you know, cultural differences of an unknown city, I started to get pretty intense. And it was coming out in my tone toward her. 
and it had been coming out more often than I was aware. <laughs> Finally, we're having this ten, day 10 or 11, we're having dinner, and we went to this amazing Italian restaurant. We were able to get the places off the beaten path by asking around where the locals go, those kinds of things. And we went to this place that looked like it was still stuck in the 50s. There's a picture of our dinner. So it looks like we were still stuck in the 50s, and we're sitting there having our dinner. And this night, I said, why don't you bring your journal, and I'll bring mine, and we'll just talk about some of the things we've been learning and how amazing this trip has been so we, can kinda, so we don't forget it when we get back. And so as we're doing this, there was a moment when Kim paused, and she looked at me across the table, and she said this, because as we were talking about all this, talking about menus, talking about all this, I was getting more intense. And she stopped, and I just love how she usually picks the right moment. Uh, and she just looked at me very tenderly, and she said this. She says, when you talk to me with that intensity, I don't feel special. I don't feel treasured. I don't feel cherished. And she was so right. And uh, it was hard. But the truth of it is what hurt so much. The truth of it. And I knew that what I needed right then was to make a change. Because I'm committed to this relationship. So what I'm doing right now is uh, we talked a little bit more about it. And she was able to let it go. And uh, I made a, started making a concerted effort uh, to working to love her the way that after 25 years I know how she wants to be loved. I'm listening to her. I'm letting her ask questions even though I think I already know the answer. <laughs> I'm slowing down and I'm reaching out to touch her. I'm asking her how she's doing. And I'm also asking her how we are doing. And so guys... You may be in the same place I am. Your wife may be wanting to have this conversation with you that she would say, when you do this, I don't feel cherished or treasured by you. But here's the good news. You can change. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can learn to speak words of love. I'm going to give guys two words, okay? Two, two things that you can do. The first one is this, is that you can cherish her so that means that you let her know and your actions and your tone and your desires and your scheduling that she's most important to you. Cherish her. And then you can nurture her. So you can treat her with kindness and love. And you can treat her with the sense that you just... Uh, she's the most important thing to you. And what that may mean is that, guys, that you have to slow down and get out of work mode and come close to her. Just come close. Just let her know that you're, you're present. You know, that you're around the house. You can come up and just come beside and touch, put a hand on. Just come close in some way. Another way, guys, for us is that you need to open up to your wife. You show her your love when she hears your heart. So open up to her in some way. Another way is that when she's talking is that you have to stop your urge to fix her. And you're listening to her. So listening is empathy. 
And so you're empathetic, you know, you're hearing the bigness of what she's actually tuning in, hearing the bigness and expressing compassion in some way, and that's not fixing. And so, guys, those are just some of the ways that you can show love to your spouse. So let me wrap this up, okay? Just come up. You might say, Ron, gotcha. I hear it. But, Ron, my marriage is uber crazy. And in fact, Ron, I'm so discouraged that I wasn't even sure I wanted to come to church today because I knew you were talking about marriage and I knew how painful this would be for me and where my marriage is today. If that's you and you feel that discouraged about your marriage, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, but just know this prayer is not just for you. I'm going to give a prayer to pray for every person here who is married. Every person here is married, and I'm going to give a prayer for every single in a minute. But for every person who's married, so this is the prayer that you would pray if you really want a biblical marriage. So you would first, here's the guy. Here would be me. Dear Lord, I pray that you would give Kimberly a better husband than she has today. And I want to live. So just know that. <laughs> that so you're a little slow, but... And I want to live, okay? So it's not going to be about a better husband by seeing a new one, okay? <laughs> because I'm going to be a better one. That a better husband than she has today. And then wife, you would pray. So this would be Kim's prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that you would give Ron a better wife than he has today. The best thing you can bring to your marriage is a whole person fully submitted and surrendered to what God says being empowered by the Holy Spirit so that you can be an example to the world of Christ's love for his church. So here's the go. If you're single, here's the prayer you can pray. Dear Lord, and if you desire to be married someday, dear Lord, I pray that you would give my future spouse a better spouse beginning today. So that's your prayer. You're single, you want to be married. Dear Lord, I pray that you would give my future spouse, a better spouse than I would be today. And so you come to him in that way. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and let's pray together. I'm thinking of those in the room that, as I just noticed, um, who have had a spouse die recently or, um, and maybe it was in the past quite a ways and they're still, you know, single as a widow or widower. And so I just want to pray for your comfort, God. As I know that that wasn't a place that this person chose to be. And Lord, I also know that there's been um, all kinds of things happen through divorce, um, through unfaithfulness, uh, through abuse, God. And Lord, I, I just want to come now and I want to just offer up this idea that you can experience God's love. Every one of us here today, no matter what we've done no matter what we've been through, no matter what decision we made, no matter what choice that we chose, that each one of us today, we can experience the love and the grace of an almighty God through Jesus Christ. Every one of us. We can all be forgiven. We can all be cleansed. We can all be surrendered and submitted to him. I want to pray now for those who are headed in the wrong direction or you feel like your, your relationship is not in the place that you want it to be or that God wants it to be. And I just want to say God will give you the courage to take the steps that he wants you to take. 
He will guide you, and he will be with you. And I want to pray for those who are in the difficult marriages. God, I pray now for those who are going home today, and they realize that their spouse is probably not even with them. They're here alone. And it's, God, I want to pray for strength for that person. I want to pray now, God, that they would realize that the way that you would want them to live is to live as if their spouse was fully engaged. So if it's a man that he would love, if it's a woman she would respect, and then allow you the freedom to work in that relationship and that marriage, God. And Lord, I pray that you would give us strength. I pray for every marriage here that you would strengthen it and that it would soar, Father. It wouldn't just be we're just married, but we are married and we love it. And God's changing us through this relationship. And we give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.